We are in a series of lessons. In fact, this is our fifth lesson. And God give us godly homes. And we're going to talk about this morning seeking success. And if I start thinking about success, I might ask the question, do you want to be a success in life? And I imagine everyone would say, sure, I want to be a success. And then we are more specific to say, do you want to be a success in your profession? For instance, maybe you're a teacher. Do you want to be the, the teacher who is so loved by her students that they come back and tell you years later, you made a difference in my life. You were one of the great teachers that I had. Or do you want to be a success in your Christian walk? Do you want to be the, the person who steps up and starts serving the Lord? Maybe a young man, you'll preach the gospel, lead singing. Maybe if you're a young lady, you'll get involved in helping those who are needy and those who perhaps need a meal fixed for them or some sort of encouragement. And then, do you want to be a success in your marriage? Do you want your home to be what is the ideal home? For one, where there's happiness and joy and love and peace. But do you know whether it's the profession we have, whether it is our Christian walk, or whether it is our marriage, it all requires effort. You're not going to be the greatest in your profession unless you put some great effort into it. You're not going to be a diligent, faithful Christian unless you decide in your mind, I'm going to do something. And you cannot have a great marriage unless you put some effort into it. In Proverbs 22, verse 29, Solomon would say, Do you see a man who excels in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before unknown men. You want to see someone who excels? He's going to be the person who's going to put some effort into it. This morning's lesson is the fifth, which is the last of our lessons from the Old Testament. God give us godly homes. And much of the time we have spent looking at some of the passages of Scripture that are negative, that talk about don't do this and don't do that. Well, this morning what we're going to do is we're going to look at two things. Number one is starting out right. And with that, we're going to use a good portion of the book of Song of Solomon. And then we're going to then talk about solving serious shortfalls. When bad things really happen, big things, we're going to look at the book of Hosea. Let's talk about, in fact, I want you to get your Bibles. Let's go through this. I want you to have your own Bible. If you don't have your Bible, please get one of the pew Bibles. Uh, this may be a lesson that it can be helpful to each of us as we strive to be good members of our own family. The book of Song of Solomon is probably the most neglected book of the Bible. In fact, if I were to ask... How many of you have read the book of Song of Solomon recently? Many of you would probably say, well, unless it's on the daily Bible reading list, I guess I just haven't read it much recently. And the truth is, there's a lot of people, when they get to the book of Song of Solomon, they start reading it and they start saying, I don't know what this is all about. In fact, maybe this is just a little bit too risque for me to be reading. Should I even be reading this? Does it even belong in the Bible? 
Let me offer to you a little valuable hint or observation. Those who are Jewish have an annual event in the celebration of the Passover. That's an Old Testament feast. Right after they have what they call their cedar meal, that Passover meal, the family gathers together and they read the book of Song of Solomon. And if some of you may read this and say, this is a little bit too frank, a little bit too direct. I want you to remember this was read in the home, inside the family, when they were remembering a spiritual event. There's something about the book of Song of Solomon that deserves our attention, if you will. I believe it offers some powerful precepts for marriage. If you and I are going to start out right in our marriage, and we have some young folks that are either about to get married, some that are thinking about getting married, or some who've just recently gotten married. How do you want to start out? If you're going to be a success in anything of life, you want to start out right. You want to, for instance, if you start a new job, you want to start out making sure that you do the right things so that it will be a success. Some protest that they are attracting losers. You know, I maybe talk to a young man or a young woman and he says, You know what? Seems like all the ones I'm getting are just losers. Well, the question comes up, what kind of bait are you using? What are you attempting to draw them with? Are you still fishing in the same stagnant pond? Are you trying to find a different person? There's a statement made that I read this past week I thought was good enough to repeat it. Marriage is not so much about finding the right person, but becoming the right person. You see, if you become the person you ought to be, then you will attract that kind of person. If you are seeking God and striving to be faithful, that's the kind of person who's going to look at you and say, that's what I want. And the Song of Solomon begins about speaking about attraction. So let's go to chapter 1 now. Let's look at verses 2 through 4. And I want you to see what it is that draws this young woman in her looking towards Solomon and saying, He is the one that I want. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. For your love is better than wine. Because of the fragrance of your ointments, your name is ointment poured forth. Therefore, the virgins love you. Draw me away. We will run after you. We will be glad and rejoice in you. We will remember your love more than wine. Rightly do they love you. I want to draw attention to a phrase in verse 3. She's talking about the kisses that are offered there. And you might visualize in your mind, here's a, a man kissing a woman. And she talks about love being better than wine, but she says, because of the fragrance of your ointments, ointments, think of perfume or cologne. But it's not the cologne that you might think of, maybe, you know, this aftershave or that cologne, because she said, your name is ointment poured forth. 
You see, what attracts this young woman toward this young man is his name, his character, his reputation. You see, he is a man who has developed a character and a reputation. And it doesn't take long. Young ladies, if you are loose, you develop a name being loose. If you are a woman with modesty and integrity, you believe me that you will develop that as well. And the same goes for men. In fact, this is talking about a man here. But the second thing that attracts her to him is the fact of the way he treats her. Rather than trying to put her down and tell her how uh, ignorant she is, how little she knows, he builds her up. I want you to notice with me chapter 1, and let's begin with verses 5 and 6, because she's going to look at herself and she's going to say, this is how I see myself. And then he's going to respond, I am dark. But lovely, O daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon. Do not look upon me because I am dark, because the sun has tanned me. My mother's sons were angry with me. They made me the keeper of the vineyards. But my own vineyard I have not kept. I'm dark. You know, in our society today, everybody wants to be well tanned. In fact, some go to tanning salons and tanning booths so that they can have that dark skin. But back during biblical times, the woman who was prized or treasured was the woman who had the very fair skin. Because that showed she was the one kept up at home. But she explains here why she's dark. Why her skin has become weather-worn. That's because her brothers have put her out in the field to work. She's been tending their vineyards while she's been neglecting her own vineyard. She's not been doing much for herself. She served everybody else and because of that she's dark, burnt from the sun. She doesn't have a very high esteem of herself because of her darkness. And because of that, she looks at herself and, you know, who am I to marry this great young man? Why don't you notice his response? In verses 9 through 11, I have compared you, my love, to my filly among Pharaoh's chariots. Your cheeks are lovely with ornaments, your neck with chains of gold. We will make you ornaments of gold with studs of silver. Now when you read that, some of us again miss the figure in mind. Pharaoh had a chariot and it was drawn by big, beautiful steeds. You know, you see those Clydesdale horses and you think about the pulling of that way. You need to think of chariot having, of of, uh, Pharaoh being pulled by these But then he talks about a mare, a filly, and he says, to my filly among Pharaoh's chariots. In other words, here's a beautiful woman, and here may be these prestigious horses, but they take note of this beautiful female horse. In fact, he goes further to say, your cheeks are lovely with ornaments. 
your neck with chains of gold. Here's what I see when I see you. Rather than him looking and saying, when I see you, I see this well-worn, dark-skinned woman. He said, no, that's not what I see. I see a beautiful woman adorned with all these jewels. And then verse 11, we will make you ornaments of gold with studs of silver. Don't let yourself think less of yourself. We will build you up. He sees in her this beauty. Verses 15 is from him. Verse 16 is her response. Behold, you are fair, my love. Behold, you are fair. You're, you have dove's eyes. She responds, Behold, you are handsome, my beloved. Yes, pleasant. Also, our bed is green. You see what happens here when you have a woman attracted to a man who builds her up? What does she do? She responds in like kind and builds him up as well. And finally, you get to chapter 2 and her self-esteem having been built up, she says, I am the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valleys. Like a lily among thorns, so is my love among the daughters. She says, now that's how I feel. What a wonderful thought as you think about the starting out of a marriage. And you think about what kinds of things draw character and the way you treat someone. She's also drawn by his promise of protection and provision. Chapter 2, verse 3, Like an apple among the trees of the woods, so is my beloved among the sons. I sat down in his shade with great delight, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. I sat down in his shade. In other words, it's like you, you're providing for, you're making provision. Verses 5 and 6, sustain me with cakes of raisins, refresh me with apples. He provides for her needs and sustains her needs. Every woman has a right to look to a husband and say, he is my provider, he is my protector, and he has made that promise to care for me. Now you can see why this woman is so drawn to this man. So there's an anticipation, if you will, a wedding to come. You think about a young man and a young woman, they've made the decision they want to get married. They've got their goals, their aspirations, and anticipation. Verse 7, though, we read, I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the doves of the field, does of the field, do not stir up nor awaken love until it pleases. Let me read that last part again. Do not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. We have to realize that when you start thinking there's a season and there's a time for things to be fulfilled. When you go to Ecclesiastes 3 verse 1, to everything there's a season and a time for every purpose under heaven. And Solomon goes on to explain the timing. There is a time when love is to be aroused and awakened and there's a time that it's not supposed to be yet. I'm going to be very blunt. When you look at Hebrews 13 verse 4, he said marriage is honorable among all and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. God has 
a place for this type of love. And it's not before marriage, it is after marriage. We read in 1 Corinthians 7 verses 1 and 2, Now concerning the things of which you wrote to me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, because of fornication, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. That's the way God intended it. This kind of intimacy that he describes is reserved for marriage. What's so interesting is the way that Solomon puts it in chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. For lo, the winter is past, the rain is gone, over and gone, the flowers appear upon the earth, the time of singing has come, and the voice of the turtle dove is heard in the land. It's time for the wedding. You have to make preparation for it. One of the things that just really jumps out if you read the book of Song of Solomon is this different view of either infatuation or intimacy. You see, we understand that some people are falling in love and others are falling in lust. Some people are infatuated with other people and then others have a genuine true love. And how do you know the difference between? Notice chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. The voice of my beloved. Behold, he comes leaping upon the mountains, skipping upon the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or young stag. Behold, he stands behind the wall. He is looking through the windows, gazing through the lattice. My beloved spoke and said to me, Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. I want you to notice the way that she describes him. He comes and he's just leaping and skipping along. He's got this almost boy-like love. And when he gets there, what's he doing? He's looking through the window. Looking through the lattice. He doesn't live there yet. There's one thing about it. He is definitely infatuated with her. You keep reading chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, and then verse 7. Behold, you are fair, my love. Behold, you are fair. You have dove's eyes behind your veil. Your hair is like a flock of goats going down from Mount Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of shorn sheep which have come up from the washing. Every one of them bears twins, and none is barren among them. In other words, his teeth are white. There's not one of them missing. In other words, each have their twins. I know that may not sound too appealing to some people, but he's got all of his teeth, and they look nice. Verse 7, You are all fair, my love, and there's no spot in you. You want me to tell you how you can spot infatuation? They can't see any faults. They don't observe any sort of failures. You know when you begin to understand failures is when you've been married about a year. And that's when you begin to understand this person has faults like everybody has faults. See, infatuation is superficial. It only looks at the outside. Intimacy is into me you see. I thought that's the best definition I've ever heard of that. Into me, you see. 
That is when a person looks beyond just the superficial and sees the inward person. And Solomon explains that so well in Proverbs chapter 31, verses 28 through 31. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful, and beauty is passing. But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. Charm is deceitful. You know that outward appearance that people have when they meet someone? Oh, they're so charming. Beauty is passing. I made the comment to Coretta yesterday. I was looking at some of my classmates from high school. And I said, those folks look old. Really old. Do we look like that? You know something? People begin to appreciate the fact that beauty is not, the outward beauty is not the most important thing. What matters is a woman who serves the Lord. Are you infatuated with just the way she looks? Or are you intimate in the sense of that you're into who she really is or into who he really is? One additional thing, and then I'll leave this. Don't let little things early in the marriage cause a failure. He squeezes the toothpaste from the top of the tube instead of the bottom. Now, I saw a lot of people laugh about that one. Do you realize that there's a lot of things that annoy your spouse? There's a lot of little things that many times can bring about a failure in a marriage. Listen to chapter 2, verse 15. Catch us the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vines, for our vines have tender grapes. Those tender grapes, they're not mature yet. Those foxes, you know what they're doing? Those little foxes, they're coming up there and they're getting those grapes and they're spoiling them. You need to protect your marriage when it's tender, when it's young. Start out right. Now let's go to the book of Hosea. Sometimes serious issues arise within a marriage. And I'm not talking about the toothpaste in the tube, nor am I talking about other uh, leaving the socks in the floor. I'm talking about something that's very serious. Things that go way beyond the just the, the small, but... Can they be resolved? When you start looking, Hosea's life reflects God's desire to resurrect and restore what may be repaired. You see, there's a reality. You take God and you take Israel and then you take Hosea and his wife Gomer and you say, is there a parallel of something that we need to learn within this? And God chose Hosea to reflect in his life the pain that God was enduring with Israel. Notice Hosea 4 verse 12. My people ask counsel from their wooden idols and their staff informs them. 
For the spirit of harlotry has caused them to stray, and they played the harlot against God. You see a a young man and a young woman, and the young man starts straying. He starts finding another woman somewhere else. Do you know the pain that that young woman experiences? The the sort of, of heartache and sadness? That's what God goes through when people leave Him for idols and idolatrous things. And God wants us to understand that. He talks about Hosea going and taking a wife of harlotry. Now, in order for the parallel to follow, she would have to have been at least honorable in the beginning, pure in the beginning, but have the potential or the propensity, if you will, to commit infidelity. Maybe her mother was a harlot. And likewise, children not yet born. I want you to listen to Ezekiel's picture of this. But you've trusted in your own beauty and played the harlot because of your fame and poured out your harlotry on everyone passing by who would have it. Lord, you you look at yourself and you say, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm beautiful enough to have anyone. Verse 28, you played the harlot with the Assyrians because you were insatiable. Indeed, you played the harlot with them and were not satisfied. God's saying, Israel, you are just wandering around with everyone. So God was going to have to put Israel away. Just like Hosea was going to have to put Gomer away. But here is the challenging part. God told Hosea to go love her again. You get to Hosea chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. The Lord said to me, go love again a woman who is loved by a lover and is committing adultery, just like the love of the Lord for the children of Israel, who look to other gods and love the raisin cakes of the pagans, So I bought her for myself for 15 shekels of silver and one and a half omers of barley. And I said to her, you shall stay with me many days and you shall not play the harlot, nor shall you have a man and I too will be toward you. You see what God told Hosea is go take her back. But when you start looking at what all he said, you realize that even major Mistakes can be forgiven if repentance takes place. Genuine repentance. I can't tell you how many times I've had weeping spouses come and say, we don't know what to do. One or the other of us has committed adultery. And usually the first question that I will ask is, do you think you can work it out? Do you think you can work it out? The fact that the two come together already says a whole lot. They want to work it out. Can forgiveness be asked for and can forgiveness be extended? Absolutely it can. Look at chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. Come and let us return to the Lord. For He is torn, but He will heal us. He is stricken, but He will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. 
on the third day that he will raise us up that we may live in his sight. Let us know and let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. His going forth is established as in the morning and he will come to us like the rain, like the latter in the former rain. And then chapter 11, verse 4, I drew them with the gentle cords, with the bands of love, and I was to them as those who take the yoke from the neck. I stooped and fed them. God said, I, as the innocent one, tried to draw them back. And the question is, why would you do that? It's because you love them. The parallel in this passage is God truly loved Israel. Now, sometimes that comes at great expense. Chapter 3, verse 2, he said 15 shekels and an omer and a half of barley. It cost financially, and it definitely cost emotionally. And then there is the period of time. You get to verse 3, you're not going to go out. You're not going to have any relations with anybody else. And even you're not going to have any with me, is what Hosea said. Do you want a successful and a happy marriage? Well, obviously we do. Well, if you want a successful and a happy marriage, just like if you want to be successful in your career, if you want to be successful in any other area of life, you've got to put some effort into it. You've got to be the right person yourself. Don't look at your spouse right now and say, I want them to be the right person. Look at yourself and say, I want to be the right person. Number two, make some wise, godly choices. Make sure that the decisions you make take into account, what does God want me to do? How does God want me to live? Love them like you love yourself. We'll study later on in Ephesians chapter 5, where Jesus said, No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes And cherishes it just as Christ does the church. We've got to be the kind of people who love our spouses just like we love ourselves. Being a faithful Christian is the only solution. You want a happy marriage? You want a marriage that is like God wants it to be? You want a marriage that will take you to heaven? You be a faithful Christian and be a great member of your family. We're going to sing the song, I Surrender All. The greatest thing you can do for your family now and yourself is to surrender your life to the Lord. You come and say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I'm repenting of all these sins that I've committed. I'm changing my heart. I'm changing my mind. And I'm going to do what's right. And then you be baptized. When you do that, the Lord will forgive all of your sins. And you'll be pure and holy in His sight. And if you're a brother or a sister in the Lord, you've been walking contrary to the will of God, Now's the time for you to come back and be restored to faithfulness. Will you come as together we stand and sing?